You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody. This is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. I get a, a lot of email. And uh, earlier this year, I got a, an email message pointing me towards a blog post from a site called Jane Jacobs in the Woo. I checked this out and was blown away by uh, not only the quality of the writing, but the actual issue at hand, which is the demolition of this gorgeous cathedral. And I emailed back and said, I'd, I'd love to chat with whoever wrote this <laughs> and found out that the person who wrote it is a woman named Joyce Mandel. Did I say that right, Joyce Mandel? That's right. Okay. And Joyce, I know because she entered our uh, strongest infrastructure project last year and, and took second place. And uh, I've actually been to Worcester, Massachusetts in the past. And so I said, well, my gosh, let's have her on the podcast. So Joyce Mandel from Worcester, is that how you would say it, Worcester? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's really, it's very weird, but it's Worcester. So, uh, it's, <laughs> See, I'm from Minnesota. Um, we would definitely say that, Worcester. <laughs> Um, you know, you're not the only one, so um, we've heard it a lot before, but it's pronounced Worcester. And Worcester. We ac- actually happen to be the uh, second largest city in New England, which is surprising as well. That is. So. I was in England years ago, and I needed to go to a city that was spelled R-E-A-D-I-N-G. And I went up to the counter and the, the guy there was not English. He was, uh, you know, from, uh, I, I'm guessing an African descent country. So it wasn't his native language. And I said, I'd like a, I'd like a ticket to reading. And we went back and forth for like four or five minutes until, uh, somehow I figured out that it was reading. <laughs> so yes, the Minnesota doesn't help sometimes. I, I want to read a little bit here. Joyce has worn many hats, uh, mom, community organizer, sociologist, community development specialist, urban studies professor, and feisty rabble rouser, my kind of person. You're excited on your website, you say, to be channeling the spirit of Jane Jacobs. Can you talk a little bit about your city? I'd like to get into the cathedral, but I'd, I'd like to start out with your place and, and why you're there and, and what it means to you. Okay. Well, I moved here about 20 years ago, and I uh, moved here to work in the field of community development at a community development corporation. And I really thought it would be just two years, like the Peace Corps, and then I would move back to civilization. But then 20 years happened, and here here I am. So Worcester is, um, we're about an hour from Boston. We're actually very centrally located. We're an hour from Boston, from uh, Providence from Hartford, Connecticut. So uh, we're in central Massachusetts. And as I said before, we're the second largest city in New England with um, over 180,000 people. We're very spread out, but it's also a college town. There are over nine colleges in Worcester with over 35,000 students. So it's it's surprising. So I ended up staying in Worcester. And then 
how the blog happened was uh, it was uh, Jane Jacobs' 100th birthday last May, May 4th. Cities and places all over the world, people were celebrating this uh, 100th anniversary of this amazing urban theorist who wrote Death and Life of Great American Cities and marking that anniversary. And I thought, I'm going to start a blog. (laughs) And I started this blog... (laughs) Jane Jacobs in the Woo, and actually the Woo is one of our nicknames for Worcester. You know, we've had many nicknames, Wormtown, the Woo, but um, I called it Jane Jacobs in the Woo, and really looking at the city through the eyes of Jane Jacobs. And so it's been almost a year. It's been incredible. And at some point, if, if it's of interest, I can say how this year has sort of developed over over time but we're pretty much taking over the city the first week in may with jane week and we're going to be having all these neighborhood walks and a pop-up parklet and public forums on design review and uh film screening so uh that's very exciting too a lot of people from around the country and i think rightfully so Look at New England and the cities, you know, near you as places that are, if not wholly salvageable, at least, you know, already very good in terms of urbanism. And I know it's not wholly correct, but there's often this assumption that, you know, if you live in a place like Worcester, you, you grasp urban form because you live in essentially the best part of the country for that. Talk a little bit about the challenges that you faced or, you know, what, what prompted you to have this discussion? Why, why is this not just a part of the DNA in a, in a place like Worcester? Well, I think that the whole notion of the New England towns um, and how they're walkable and, and small and more compact, in some ways that, that's true. And there are a lot of older mill cities such as Lowell or Lawrence that have that infrastructure that basis that's already there. A lot of the cities around here have also weathered the whole deindustrialization and are are struggling. Now, Worcester is a different story because we weren't a one-industry town, Um, so it's not like a city like uh, Lawrence or Lowell. They were not manufacturing, they were more um, textile towns and had a lot of impact. But we had a lot of industries here in a lot of different areas, so we weathered it much better. Unfortunately, what happened um, historically in the 1950s, 1960s, a, a lot of cities, and this is what Jane Jacobs was struggling with in New York City, became sort of suburbanized or what I would call automobilized. And the same thing happened with Worcester. Um, it used to be very more, much more compact, but we are over 38 square miles. So even though we have a lot of population, everyone's spread out a lot. I mean, I'm on the west side of town, and there are deer and turkeys and an occasional bear roaming through, and I'm right here in the city. So what happened in the 1950s and the 1960s Worcester really went the route of sort of Robert Moses and plowing a highway, Route 290, through the center, almost through the center of town, cutting really the east side neighborhoods off from the west side. And uh, the train station was closed for about 25 years, and a big mall, 450 
buildings were raised in downtown to build these huge single-use mega projects. So that was another impetus for the blog to start challenging this slant of building for for cars and driving and uh, single-use projects that take up big blocks. There's not a lot of walkability necessarily around here, and we're trying to work on that. So it's not like Boston. You know, people will go into Boston and take the train in. You don't need a car there at all. And it's it's so uh, filled with activity and it's changing. It's slowly shifting the attitude, but it's not. Um, that's why we're building a movement here. What made you think that you could make a difference? Your bio, mom, community organizer, sociology professor. What, you, you step back and you say, there's this huge problem. What made you think that you could make a difference? Well, I think one of the best parts of Worcester is even though there are so many people who live here, it feels like a small town. So it feels like everyone can make a difference. So I started this work and I thought, well, let me throw out some ideas and see how um, they resonate, see what comes back. My background is also as a community organizer, so I think that it's more the community that makes the difference. One or two or three or, or 10 or 20 people can help be the spark. I think I'm one little spark, um, but there are so many little sparks. I mean, there are so many people who are making a difference in this city. You know, I can tell you a little bit about people who are starting uh, maker spaces and people, they're a group of millennials, these young people that got this whole mural project going on downtown that happened last August. So I think what's exciting about this city is it's small enough and connected enough, socially connected enough, that you can join with other people to make a difference. So I just want to put it out there, even though I put the blog out there. I think that I couldn't make any difference if there weren't other people joining together and if it's not a movement. So um, I'm really happy to do this interview, but I also think that the sign of a good community organizer is if I didn't do this interview. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, no, totally. But, um, you know, developing the leadership of other people and the skills and the passion that it's, it's not just you, but it's also this person who's interested in historic preservation and this person who's interested in walkability. And I think of myself as kind of a bridge builder and that we bring all, all of our issues together to develop a, a collective vision. I think the blog part is fascinating to me because it was my outlet as well. It was shocking to me how many people uh, started to read my stuff because I, I, I really was writing for a small group of people and it took off. Can you talk a little bit about that experience for you? I mean, you've been doing this now for a, a little over a year. Is that is that what I understand? Or uh, coming up to a year? Um, coming up to a year in May. I'm, I'm doing it for almost a year. And what's the What's the reaction been? Well, first of all, can I say, because I'm your, a big fan of, of <laughs> Strong Towns and of your writing, well, thank you. Um, it is 
it is really important, and I think that the the writing is and the articulating of ideas and putting those ideas out there and challenging different paradigms of um, what is good planning and what is good infrastructure. I think that that's really an important part of the tool and its important role. It's been a balance. I think that it's taken off in more ways, I'd say, than my academic writing. You know, that's maybe, uh, I mean, how many people actually necessarily read an academic journal? Sure, you know, sure, not yeah. That, not, not, uh, well, not as many. And then when you see, oh my God, 6,000 people this year tuned into this blog. In the world of social media, that may not be that much, but it's 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 just amazing. And then to hear from people, I think for me, it's the connections that you develop, um, not only in the city of Worcester, but also outside. I've had people contact me from all over the, the country at different points, and I think that that's exciting. Another reason why I did this blog was I was very intrigued in the power of um, social movement building with this technology, with social media. You know, that all these different movements came out from the Occupy movement, the Tea Party, I mean, just a lot, um, the Arab Spring, um, through social media. So one of my questions in the back of my mind is, could someone spark a little revolution, a teeny little revolution? maybe in thinking and maybe in actions. And I think of strong towns in that way. I think of it as sort of sparking, sparking conversations all over the country, sparking conversations, giving activists locally a tool. Um, you know, when we can direct people to articles and podcasts on strong towns, I mean, this is, this is important for what we are doing locally. I think a lot of people are hesitant to write because you you have these journals out there and you have people who are much greater experts than you are. I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this for me at the very beginning, there's an intimidation factor because I, I was just a guy working in central Minnesota. What what did I know? And, you know, you, you find out that maybe the professors don't know everything. Maybe you do have something to contribute. I think it's intimidating for people. So it's good to hear, you know, others who have been able to kind of take that path. I think it also depends on, on what your style is and, and what your experience is. And I found for me, I'm most comfortable in the realm of storytelling. So, you know, I had all these blog posts um, about loving where you live. So I wrote this one blog post just about my daily morning ritual of walking and seeing the, the regular people on this route and you know, strangers, if I don't come that morning, they'll, they'll wave hello and say, where were you yesterday? You know, so being able to talk about some of the issues that of uh, what makes a good neighborhood, what makes a strong town, but through the avenue of storytelling, I think has been, has made it easier for me to put myself out there in a, in kind of a vulnerable way too, because you never know how people are going to take it. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of positive feedback, but I'm sure that vulnerability is real because I'm, I'm sure if you're like me, you, you've got a lot of people locally who said, you know, what, what is this busybody? Why is she out pushing this? Who, what makes her think she knows something? How do you get through that? I'm always surprised by who reads the blog. You know, um, 
I had uh, someone who is uh, a staff person for our local city manager and, and said, I really don't agree with what you said about <laughs> this particular building in the canal district. And I said, I just think it's fantastic that you're reading it and that we can have these conversations. And also I've had a lot of the article that you were referring to about um, Notre Dame. And I, I talked about the economic importance of historic preservation. There was some real pushback from, you know, some people who are traditional uh, chamber types we're getting this Jane week together for May 1st through 7th. And um, I sat down with the folks there and we started to have this back and forth kind of debate about the, the merit of historic places in um, thriving cities. And I said, this is great, you know, and this is the purpose of Jane week. We don't have to agree, but let's have these conversations and let's have a public sphere where we can get out of our homes and whether it's online or out in the streets walking about, we can engage in this. We don't have to necessarily agree fully, um, but let's just get into the conversation. So there have been people who have pushed back on some of the ideas. On the other hand, I am shocked at how many people have stepped forward from so many different areas in fact, what's emerged this year, which I never would have predicted last May, one of the people who read the blog, we sat together for coffee, and we said, we should try to push some public policies, some policies in the city. Let's get a group of people together. So we've had a public policy group that's um, been meeting and researching and crafting a collective vision, and uh, that's been meeting since the summer. So I never would have predicted last May that that would have emerged. And it's because, you know, these ideas um, are resonating. People might talk about them in coffee shops and bars and in their own homes. But then when you see, yeah, we need to do something here in this city, it's it's been very exciting. The editorial on Notre Dame that you sent me, the one from last March, did you did you write that? Was that your you? Because I thought that was great storytelling, too. Yeah, um, I did write that. Um, one of the things, and the blog has um, received attention, but I wanted to do, I wanted more of a venue, you know, to really get the word out because I think the sort of marketing and promotion and pushing it has been, you know, the hardest part of this whole endeavor. So there's a local paper that last summer approached me and said, can you write stuff for us? So finally, I, I said, I want to write this article about the economics of historic preservation. So um, I started interviewing people around town. I interviewed a developer who has developed several historic properties, and he talked about why he did that, these pain-in-the-butt projects. <laughs> you know, I talked to someone who um, runs uh, or directs the local Hanover Theater and so I, I and I started talking to a lot of small business people who actually have decided to plant themselves in historic, renovated, and reused properties, and why they did that. So yes, I did write that article. I uh, was able to cultivate the words of wise people, the the ones that I whom I interviewed. So that was helpful too. Well, let me read this because I I think it's captivating. You. You start off with essentially an ad of sorts. It says, editorial, a new hope for Notre Dame church, question mark. 
Five Salem Square, 24,000 square foot fixer upper needs TLC. Great location in the heart of a 200 plus million dollar in development downtown Worcester. Community gratitude, historic tax credits and 22,000 square feet in additions possible. Serious offers only soon, please. I love the framing because it's framed not in the kind of traditional historic preservation woe is me kind of way, but in a very positive, look, this is a great thing and it's going to have all kinds of benefits. And and you go on to point out other developments that have, have worked in similar ways. Can you talk a little bit about the church and, and also the conversation around it? When I look at the photos of it, I'm astounded that tearing it down would ever be even considered. Yet, it's a very real thing, right? Yeah, it may happen next week. So, yeah, <laughs> where um, the demolition delay uh, is actually over next week. Um, can I just clarify? I love what you just read. Yeah, that was a someone else. You wrote didn't that. write it. <laughs> that, that wasn't mine. <laughs> so I just wanted to clarify. I did start with a story um, with mine, and I I can resend it. I started with the story of this building that could, you know, that survived the first um, demolition wave that built that new mall that that we took that down several years ago. Um, But in the 1970s, um, this church survived one time, and now it's needing to survive another iteration for urban renewal because there's another project that's coming on board right now um, this is the article so, where you go on and talk about the Hanover. That was a fantastic article too, because you, you gave an example of success, basically. Like we've done this before. Right. I um, quoted Troy Siebels, who is the director of Hanover. And he said, you know, and actually it's interesting because Hanover insurance is one of the property owners of this other property that, uh, owns Notre Dame. So, you know, but Hanover Insurance was helpful in the renovation of this Hanover Theater, this beautiful old um, theater that was rehabbed many years ago. And Troy uh, Siebels talked about the importance that the economics of uh, saving that theater, it wasn't just, you know, having a theater downtown, but the draw is that people are coming to that theater because of how amazing and beautiful and special that building is. You know, the kind of craftsmanship that you don't find anymore um, and that you can't necessarily duplicate. So, yes, in the article I, I talked about, and actually Crompton Place, the um, project that I, I nominated for the Strong Towns uh, contest for the Strongest Infrastructure Project, that's other, another example of a creative reuse project where an old mill building was uh, rehabbed to become this really community jewel that is a mixed-use property um, with housing and businesses, you know, a, a bakery and a collective for artists, this Crompton Collective that houses antiques and art. So I wanted to show, you know, the economic vitality and what happens when you're able to take an old uh, an historic property and reuse it you know and i i even think of uh, jane jacobs what she said you know cities need old buildings so badly it was 
it is probably impossible for vigorous streets to grow without them. So uh, that was one of the main uh, characteristics that she saw in thriving neighborhoods and vibrant cities is the creative reuse and and re-adaptation of uh, historic properties. I'm feeling very sad about the church. I'm hoping that the right thing will be done at the last moment, but it's, it's, it's rough. I've got to say it's rough. It's an absolutely incredible, beautiful building that's right in the heart of downtown Worcester, facing the downtown common. It's just screaming for another reuse, you know, something like a, a Quincy market or um, we have a lot of breweries around here. I mean, Worcester's now developing all this housing downtown, which is great because people will be actually living down there. And so maybe it'll activate life down there, make it more of an 18-hour city. But there's no grocery store. If we want to create walkable communities, you know, um, the church could be a market. There's a lot of creative reuse that we could we could think that could go into that building. Unfortunately, it's privately owned. So um, the city council a week ago, there were about 30 or 40 people that stood in line to speak on behalf of that building. And we lit it up with um, lights and at night with the word save me on it. It was absolutely incredible. So uh, the city council voted unanimously to have a non-binding statement, you know, because it's a, a private owner, so you can't do much of anything. Um, to please have time, because once that building goes, I mean, it's gone. Is there any sense of what the idea of tearing it down is about? Like what what comes next? Um, You mean if the developers and the owners tear it down, then what would happen to that property? Yeah. I mean, are they just going to turn it into a parking lot or do they have plans? There's not been a lot of forthcoming of information, but as far as we know, it's either going to be a graded lot. There is parking next door. We we don't know or think that there's any particular plans for that, but it's hard to know because there's not been a lot of um, information shared. The purpose of the demolition delay ordinance is to give property owners a chance to work collectively. There's a group here called Preservation Worcester, but to really give a good chance of working collectively to think of uh, ways to save historic properties in the city. And uh, it's been a struggle meeting with this, uh, the owners of the property. There's been a lot of resistance and it's been a rough, uh, a rough haul with that. We're hoping that a miracle happen. Um, But if you look, you must've seen the pictures of, of the church. It's absolutely incredibly beautiful. It's astounding. I mean, as someone from Minnesota, we have some very nice churches around here. But when I look at that, that would be <laughs> that that would be a place that would be a statewide tragedy if something like that were to even fall into disrepair, let alone be intentionally torn down. It's 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 hard to imagine a building of such architectural intricacy and beauty you know, being kind of casually thrown to the side. One of the things you wrote, I found this really compelling. You said, uh, Worcester's urban development agenda since the 1960s urban renewal craze has been based on two major fallacies. One, that historic buildings such as Notre Dame serve as an impediment to economic progress. 
and two, fuzzy-headed nostalgia instead of economic rationalization that drives the work of historic preservation. You go on to say then smart cities know the real truth that adaptive reuse of historic buildings makes dollars and cents and translates into tangible economic benefits. You know, you, you word it quite eloquently. I find it to be such an obvious point. Why do you think that historically the leadership and the development community in your city have found that hard to, hard to grasp? I'll say that especially because it's not like there aren't great examples of this working near you. I mean, if, if, if we were talking to someone out in, uh, you know, California or Idaho or Texas, it's not like I can drive them an hour and show them great urbanism. You've got it right there. I mean, why do you think it is so hard uh, to do? I think it's a, a mind shift. And I think that this is um, traditionally, especially since the 1950s and 60s, how the powers that be in the city have, have functioned. I think I told you I sat down with some people who from the chamber and they said, but can you imagine the cost of rehabilitating a property such as Notre Dame or whatever it might be? I didn't go into all the arguments that I went into that article, but I sent them a copy afterwards because there are a lot of costs that are, I mean, if you're looking at sort of the dollars and cents of it, I think that it doesn't take into account everything that Troy Siebels was talking about, the fact that this property could um, revitalize that whole downtown core, you know, and people aren't going to be coming to Worcester to go to another big box building, you know, but they would come to the Crompton Place or they would come to a property. It's these kinds of properties that are more draws. And I think the city has sort of struggled and, and those who have sort of um, led the development agenda in the city have struggled with kind of understanding that. And, and I think that that's the reason why it's important to have something like Jane Jacobs and the Wu in a movement like this to sort of um, show the other side, you know, and and think about, well, you know, why doesn't anyone go downtown, but people will go up to Lowell or down to Providence or even up to Northampton, Mass., you know, this little town up in Northampton, and their whole main street is mixed use and lots of little stores and restaurants, and, you know, people are, are, are going to places where they're drawn to what makes a place new, unique, the church makes us unique. In fact, it was amazing because um, at the city council hearing that I told you about last week, there were people that traveled from two hours away to come to this hearing. There's someone that, it, it's a French-Canadian church, and there was someone that came from some French-Canadian group, and he addressed the city council by starting with bonjour and then going on in French. But it, it's what's unique about this community. I'm, I'm in love with churches anyway. I'm in love with spiritual places because I feel like they're the community spiritual heartbeat of a community. So that's another reason why I feel sad if that church is taken down. Not that it will ever be a church again, but it's a symbol for me, and it's a symbol for so many people. So I think that, that it's important to keep on writing articles like this, having conversations like this and educating people about the importance of 
um, these properties. There was a fantastic article that came out in our local paper today, uh, written by the board president of Preservation Worcester, who talked about, well, what are we going to have in that place of that beautiful church, a big box building, you know, a parking garage? But that has very much been the thrust of the development agenda in the city, you know, huge mega single-use mega projects that take up a big block with an adjacent parking lot and widened streets. So that is something that we're we're trying to say there there's another way, you know, there and challenge that that those ideas. And I think people are starting to to realize it and to get it. So, you know, it's little by little and it's also seeing um examples of success. You know, Crompton Place, the place that I wrote about for Strong Towns contest. There's another Buick dealership property that um, was a historic property on Shrewsbury Street, and that was renovated into this really interesting brewery and a couple of restaurants and with the funky ceilings and the wires coming down, the wooden floors. You know, so I think as people start seeing these successes and start thinking about, well, what are other cities doing and what are we doing that is working and what could we do better? But I also think that it's important and what we're trying to do in our group is to do the best to work collaboratively with people, even people who don't necessarily agree with the paradigm that we're putting forth, but to try to have these um, cordial, respectful conversations and show a different way. Oftentimes, you know, because I've been here my whole life, I walk around and I, I see like the echoes of what used to be here. You know, there, there's the theater that's now a parking lot. Uh, there's the, uh, the great park that's now a parking lot. There's the, the, the you know, great historic building site that's now an, an empty lot. And it, it's hard sometimes for me to, to not become negative. You know, it's, it's hard for me to, to think positively about the people around me who, who made these decisions and, and got us here and, and didn't seem to, uh, value the community in, in the way that I value it. How do you stay positive? And what would you say to people like me or, or like others who, who struggle with this, who, you know, realize we have this huge uphill battle sometimes and we're going to lose things like this gorgeous church that should never go away. How do you go on day to day and, and be very positive? And why is that so important? Well, I think it is really important. And I have to admit something. And this was another reason why I did the blog. For maybe 15 years, I wasn't very positive, And I wanted to move back to Boston. I, I think I told you it was coming to Worcester was like the Peace Corps. And then I thought I'd, you know, move back to Boston to civilization. And so for many years, I was, you know, why isn't this more walkable? And I can't, you know, I need a car to get around everywhere. Part of the positive action was, I'm living here. Let me see if I can make it my own and, and plant myself and make, a, I think that's a part of it is making a commitment to a place that, that is the first um, part for me. I'm here now. I'm living here. Let me, let me love this the way I would and see it in its best light. 
to appreciate what is here now, the positive that you can find here, I think is an important part. And realize that there's work to do, but also realize that there are positive pieces of it. I've fallen in love with the city again this year. It's been wonderful. It's like uh, being in love again, being in love with a place. The second part of, of maintaining positivity for me is building connections with like-minded people. So I think I mentioned about this Jane Week that's happening on May 1st for the week. Over 15 groups have come together. People are doing walks. People are sponsoring you know, a, a film screening, and we're having a huge pop-up parklet party on North Main Street that needs a little bit of uh, tender, loving care up there. Um, but we're having some streetscape improvements with bike lanes coming up in the upcoming year. So that's very exciting. So I think finding those spaces where you can have like-minded people, that makes it like you're not alone. I'm not alone in the game. Also, I have to tell you, you have been helpful to me. And Strong Towns has been helpful. Just having that kind of resource and knowing that I'm not alone in this thinking I know, you know, you may have been here, you've, you've been to New England, but I feel like you've been here. And I feel like you're here, Strong Towns is here all the time, because our local activists and the people who are involved in this, we share all the articles and we think about things. And so, you know, I, I think it's um, those pieces you know, it may not always be within the city, but it's also finding resources outside the city and finding examples outside the city. So I want to thank you. So <laughs> I want to thank you for your work because it's been really an incredible resource for all of us here. And I, I'm not going to just say me because, you know, we're a whole movement of people who are in many different areas working together. Um, it's, it's been so helpful for us. So I'm feeling positive. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that traditional paradigm of, uh, just suburbanize the street and build parking lots and huge projects that, you know, another one just came on board, uh, this year. It's like, oh God, not another one to find like-minded people is very important. So I thank you. Well, Thank you. It means so much. And I do hope we get a chance to meet in person. You're a, you're, you're a beautiful person and I love your writing and I love your work and I'm deeply inspired by you and, and your whole attitude and approach. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to share with us and, and please keep doing what you're doing. It's really important. I appreciate this opportunity to just have this conversation with you and I, I hope we can continue it again. Um, so it's, it's good. I do so. too. Thank you, Joyce. And thanks everybody for listening and, and keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care. We need your help. If you think the strong towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of strong towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. 